this oh, computer. Okay. Hello, okay. this is Jesus TV um, being broadcast from the Jesus verse, not the metaverse, although we're probably resting on the metaverse, building upon the shoulders of giants like Mark Zuckerberg and those people that Jesus is blessed with sweaty wads of cash to the moon. Um, and we're grateful for that. So grateful for Caesars. Render to Caesar what's Caesars. Build your temples on top of Caesar if Jesus tells you to. Um, and that's what I'm grateful for is the internet. Um, is that built by the devil? I don't think so. I think it's built by Jesus, but the devil hijacks everything. I think I'm built by Jesus, but I think the devil hijacks me. So I'm like the internet. You're like, not everything's good about the internet. Yeah, if the internet's Greg, that's the truth. Not everything's good about opening a closet. So Emily was talking about just a normal, spending her time normally, and then open the closet door, and then tell us about the adventure that Jesus had for you. Now, this is what I wanted to make my comment. Uh, Emily didn't mention Jesus in the mess that she was doing. She was telling me a bunch of stuff, but she didn't tell me how Jesus, uh, um, what Jesus is up to. So tell the story, Emily, and I just want to um, see how it's Jesus. -y. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not sure how it's Jesus -y either. I think it's just—I <laughs> don't even know. I, mean, I would yeah. say me being dumb, but it, I don't even know that it was me being dumb. It was just a really random fluke. So a few years ago, I built myself these. Uh, wooden like barn door closet doors for my bedroom so in December of this year I was opening my closet door and I got a sliver in my hand um you probably can't see it uh you, you won't be able to see this but oh I see yeah I see that like a little bump oh okay yeah there's like a little bump thing right here anyways I got a sliver in there and I thought I got it was a really big sliver actually and I thought I got it all out and uh but my hand kept hurting and I and so a couple different times I tried to like Get it out but i'm like i don't see anything but it still hurts and i'm just like whatever and it grew and it, the heel skin healed over the top and then it just kept hurting me and it's been so now it's been like seven months and uh i went to my normal doctor a few months ago and he was like you're gonna go have to see a hand surgeon and uh the particular hand surgeon he referred me to i didn't want to go see because i've had an experience in the past with that doctor that was less than pleasant um and uh anyways so, you know, my wrists have been hurting and stuff. So I, then I started going to a physical therapist and I showed them that thing. And they were like, you really do need to go to like a hand surgeon for that. And I was, and he was like, go to this guy. And I'm like, everybody tells me to go to that guy. Like everybody. And he's like, well, he's really good. And I'm like, he's just kind of short. He's like, yeah, he doesn't have good bedside manner, but he's a really good surgeon. And <laughs> you should listen to what he says. And I was like, fine. So after a few physical therapy appointments, I'm like, fine. So I set up an appointment with him and I had an appointment uh, this last Thursday. And I go in and he was like, oh, yeah, he's like, you definitely have something in there. It's weird. He's like, because wood slivers usually eject themselves unless it was like a foreign material, like metal or that kind of stuff. You usually have to have surgically removed. And he's like, this is really weird. And he was like, um, he's like, but where it is? He's like, I think it's on a nerve. Like he had me move my hand and like feel where it is. And he's like, yeah, I can feel it there. He's like, um, he's like, we're going to have to do surgery. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, can't you just like cut open here? And he's like, what we have to do? He's like, we have to put a really, really tight tourniquet on your arm, like really insanely tight. And he's like, usually he's like, we've tried to do this in office before. And usually about 10 minutes in, you're like, I wish I was dead because it hurts so bad to have that. That I'm like, you can't just like numb it up, you know? I'm like, and he's like, no, he's like, we have to like dig around in there. And I don't want to accidentally cause you nerve damage in your hand. And I was like, oh. So really the option is surgery. 
Yeah. Which is yeah. why I didn't want to see him in the first place because I thought he was going to say surgery. So I put it off for a long time. Anyway, so that being said, I now have surgery next week. I have to go to the hospital and get surgery on my hand for a liver. Uh, um, from opening my closet door. And it's, you know, it's a good thing that I, uh, I don't know. I think maybe I need to stop doing DIY projects because it's a good thing. I, you know, I saved myself all that money making myself custom barn doors. And then now I have to go get <laughs> surgery from hurting my hand from it. So yeah. I don't, I didn't save myself any money or time. I just cost myself a lot more. And then part of my wrist issues now that I'm having are from building myself some custom nightstands. And so apparently I just can't build and make cool stuff anymore. I just need to pay for it and whatever. It's because I like I like solid wood things and I don't want to pay solid wood prices. I don't like particle ward. I want like solid, nicely made things. And just like whatever, buy a $20 nightstand on Amazon last a couple of years great you know it's better than having to get surgery or having to go two times a week <laughs> to physical therapy for like three months and, you know you could you can buy a lot for that anyways so he said how is jesus in this mess yeah i don't yeah. know i mean my only thing i'm thinking is maybe so the biggest problem why my wrists and hands aren't healing is because i don't give them enough of a break because i get really really bored um I mean, you guys can tell, I don't even stay on here doing nothing. Like, I'm always doing something. That's just how I am. So I'm like, maybe when I have the surgery, it'll actually make me stop using my hand, and then maybe it'll finally heal. Because when oh. I don't use it, it feels great. Um, but when I do use it, even just like reading a book, it hurts. If I'm looking at my phone, like holding my phone in my hand, it hurts. Like both hands, like my wrist and stuff. Anyways. I gotta hey. turn on a fan because I'm getting really hot. All right, do it because Jonathan has his hand. Jonathan has his hand up before I introduce Raised? the topic. Yeah, see, I gotta turn that fan up there on. I'm getting so hot. Propose the topic. Okay. So you you get your fan. Uh, so Jonathan, make your we comment. Live? We're live. Yeah, yep, we're we're recording. That's right. Keep all your your dark secrets quiet. Are we live? Yes. Yes. Okay. I was curious. So. Are you saying that your your wrist problem is from a sliver um, years ago or something? That's actually potentially a thing, my doctor said. So I have a sliver, and I don't actually think that's what's causing my wrist problem. I, but it could be. I don't know. He said the sliver's like in my nerve. Well, I've, I've got this thumb um, about, oh, 10 or 13 years ago, maybe. I was on a work project and um, the two by four, I would call it a sliver, but it was more like a shard. Um, it went in about here and went about this deep, about an inch of, um, and then of course it swelled up right away. It hurt like, it hurt like I'd been impaled because I had been. And, um, and, I, I dug around at it trying to get it out and I couldn't, I couldn't find it. And I had my wife try to find it. It hurt like heck. And I finally left it and it's still there to this day. You can still feel the lump right there. And it's part of it has, has dissolved, but the rest must just be, you know, a big lump of scar tissue. I don't know if it's dissolved and it's just scar tissue or what, but I, I left it in and sometimes like it, it'll hurt when I try to grab something, but that's pretty much almost exactly uh, what happened to me. Like it wasn't just like a little sliver; like it was, oh. it was pretty good size. 
it was yeah. like a I would say it was probably like uh let's see maybe not quite half an inch but it was like more like you said more like a shard and same thing we dug it a couple times there's a lot of scars so it's kind of almost exactly the same thing so pretty much it came down to I've already met about half of my deductible for the year my deductible starts over in September because I'm a teacher and so it was like, well, I could wait, or I've already, they're like, it might take a few weeks to recover. It might not. So I well, I didn't know that happened to anyone else. So yeah, it's not just like a little tiny sliver. Like it was, it was yeah. pretty beefy and it hurt. Yeah. Like you said, and that's just like what mine is. And it's, and so what's been happening as I've been getting my hands worked, like I was doing okay for a while, but as I've been going to physical therapy for my hands and having to wear those wraps, they've been aggravating it again. And it's been like kind of coming to the surface a little bit and it hurts more as I've been trying to do the physical therapy stuff. Like it's been aggravated. But in any case, there's something in my hand and it needs really deep. I think I got most of it out. I think there's like a little tiny, I bet there's like a little tiny point that's like stuck in there, just like a foreign body. You know, it's, I think it's really interesting how our body, um, you know, you can compare this to spiritual stuff, but just like how, um, you know, how our body's like foreign things. It's like, this doesn't belong. And it tries to get us out because my, my my surgeon was like, yeah, he's like, usually with wood stuff, it's uh, he's like, it's like your body will just spit it out. It's like, this doesn't belong. And it usually kind of swells and pusses and like pushes it out. And he's like, the fact that that didn't happen, he's like, that's really weird. Like, it must be like really deep or, you know, like scar tissue or because he's like, usually your body will just spit that out. And, and, and so I think, I mean, our bodies are really amazing. So yeah, right now the body is like there's this weird lump and it's like I don't I don't know what this is. I can't get rid of it. I'm trying to spit it out. I can't. Like the way is blocked. I don't know. You could probably take that somewhere religious, but yeah. Yeah. Are you guys um, okay with me? Yeah, we're done. You have a thing you were gonna say, Greg? Yeah. Well, because I I intend to hijack your um uh your your owie um to tie it over to um a revelation that Jesus gave the world. Um, so. So this is kind of a multi-prong comment that will tie about into both of you guys as Aoi, my own as well. Um, so first thing is, I'm about to read you a revelation. Um, so God has been teaching me, Jesus has been teaching me about um, revelations. A lot of um, hidden treasures, because Jesus is really, really big on prophecy. He thinks they're just so wonderful because they actually have give you hope. And so if you are told that something sweet's coming your way, you know, whatever it is, you're like, you're going to get a million dollars in a month from now. That make, and, and if you, it was reliable, you'd be like, I'm feeling good every day. <laughs> like I'm feeling good because I'm quitting my job in a month from now or whatever it is, or I'm, we're going to go on a trip in a month from now. And so the, those are um, prophetic thoughts. You're looking to the future and you have a promise that there's going to be this, Jesus uses the term promised land. If I can just hold on just a little bit longer. I know we're having marital problems, but it'll all be solved because in, in a month, they're going to give us a million dollars. Woo! Um, or in a month, we're going to rob a bank. Woo! Uh, there's different ways you can get hope in this world. Um, and so hope in Christ um, is one of the things that I want to um, have you think about when you hear this prophecy so he had he had to these people in in london um england write this prophecy now people most people don't know that this is a jesus prophecy 
But when I read this, I glued to it like very few other things that have ever been written on the earth. And Jesus later, I mean, I just thought I, I read a good article and it was a very insightful article. Jesus says, it's so much more than that, Greg. Anything lovely, good or poor or praiseworthy is from me. What you are looking at is a hidden treasure. It's hidden because people don't even know, like they'll read it. Oh, that's interesting. But I had been prepared to recognize it as a pearl of great price, like worth surrendering a whole lot of stuff. And you say, nah, uh, uh, I mean, I can, I can hear religious people, uh, uh, because this starts opening up like, so you're saying that there's prophecies um, in other places than the scriptures? Oh, thousands and millions. Um, and so I, I now am gaining a, a deep insight about what um, hidden treasures, treasures of knowledge, because he emphasizes that when he speaks of treasures, that this is in the scriptures, treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures. So what I'm going to read to you um, is a prophecy. Um, I'm going to try to skip over some of it. You can read it on your own. But it was written by, I don't know who. Um, there's an organization called the School of Life. But Jesus brought me to this, um, this uh, script. They actually turned this into a movie. You can, you can, uh, you can YouTube it, uh, how to narrate your life um, in the, um, on, on YouTube um, and School of Life. You, you Google that, you'll find it. Um, but it has become very substantial in my understanding of my relationship with Jesus. And so I'm about ready to read it. But before I do, one of the things he's helped me understand, in addition to um, there's lots of hidden prophecies and, and, and prophecies are like nothing. They're like nothing burgers. Like you, um, LDS people, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints people, we treat this Book of Mormon that was given to Joseph Smith by Jesus. We treat it as though it were so precious. Oh, it's so wonderful. This is a book of revelations. It's so cool. Well, there's some really smart people who've read that and concluded otherwise. It's nothing. It's just, you know, chloroform on print, according to uh, uh, Mark Twain, who, who read it, or he said he did. <laughs> he may have just kind of thumbed through it. Who knows? But um, one person's treasure, maybe another person's trash. And I'm not here to resolve that. Like, yeah, I can't resolve that. But what I can resolve is that there's some precious things. And in order for them to be precious, you have to treat them precious. Um, and the more precious you treat them, the more energy they will give you. So uh, precious, you could also say sacred, my precious, using Lord of the Rings talk, um, golem. Um, that they are empowered, they are imbued with meaning in interaction. So we can find some something just like you would um, Emily's art. If you interact with it, with your eyes and your thoughts, maybe you talk about it, think about it. It also it it, it generates worth. Um, and so that's the nature. Uh, that's a preliminary. And it, it, the preliminary wasn't necessarily like, oh boy, I hope you don't miss this. I don't care if you miss it. I don't think Jonathan and Emily will miss it um, because I'm going to tie it right to the Owie story. So Emily's got a sliver. Jonathan had a sliver. And as Emily spoke of it in Jesus in this mess, because we were, um, she was starting to tell about it before I even um, um, pushed uh, record. 
on this episode. And I noticed, I'm like, hey, Jesus, she's not saying anything about you. <laughs> she just has this owie. And so this is what Jesus has been training me. It's all me, Greg. Um, and, and that's what Jesus in this mess is actually about. If you got a mess, and what if it's a mess with your body? What if it's just something silly? Um, you could even say stupid. I'm opening up um, a, uh, a cupboard or I'm op opening up a closet and I get a sticker. Uh-huh, did it hurt? Yeah, that's Jesus. Oh, totally, that's Jesus. What? Hurting? Oh, well, yeah. Um, and so that a person who's desperate for Jesus would start looking through the scriptures and saying, let's see if there's a precedent. And you say, oh, here's Paul. He says, Jesus, take this thorn. Oh, that's like a sticker, right? Jesus, take this thorn away from me. And Jesus, what does he say? Uh-uh. And he asks him three times, Jesus, maybe, maybe you didn't hear me very well. Can you please take this thorn out of me? No, we don't have surgeons. They will in 2023. But no, you can't have that thorn out. I'm, I'm just paraphrasing and making the mashup of what Jesus said. But three times he asked, and the Lord said no. And he was teaching Paul about something, about weaknesses, about um, tribulations. And Paul became trained where he said this. And you don't really see this much in the scriptures. I glory in my weakness. In other words, oh, I'm so happy I got a sticker in my hand. <laughs> That's high training. Emily's like, well, I'm, I'm not going to say I glory in it. I'm kind of complaining. I guess I'm grateful that I'm not all bloody and that there's a surgeon. But um, I'm not also trained that way. Um, so I had a bloody nose and Jesus started teaching me with it. Uh, and he's like, Greg, that wasn't Jesus. That's you picking your nose. Oh, okay. Um, but this is Jesus's nose uh, and, it, and, and it wouldn't stop. And then Jesus started talking to me and said, you need to use your indoor voice, which I'm not using right now. Um, and then, so I had this thing that wouldn't stop, had to put a tampon in my nose. Uh, and I mean, I'd go to the emergency room, the thing wouldn't stop. And so when those things happen anymore, I'm like, okay, what do you want, Lord? I mean, am I just on the cross here and you just want me to suffer? Or is there something you want me to know? And he wanted me, I believe, so this is me imagining, like, if there was some kind of purpose to this, and that's what Emily's kind of like, maybe there's a purpose to this. So I loved how she was like, maybe I'm not supposed to do all this woodwork. And, and I love it because she's like, maybe I'm supposed to be a little lazier. I, I'm not, yeah, I'm supposed to just sit down in that comforter. That sounds like a story I want to go for, too. Yeah, maybe you just want me to stay in bed for a week, Jesus sweet. <laughs> I don't have to do handyman work. You know why? Because I can't. I, I don't have to go swimming. You know why? Blood, go ahead, Emily. Well, the thing is, you said that sounds great. And see, to me, that sounds absolutely depressing. <laughs> like it is 100% depressing to me to sit around. Like it, it really is. Like right now, I'm like, I'm not going to paint today. I'm going to do this stuff. And I'm already like, I really want to paint. I'll just be really careful. Um, so I'm like giving already to paint because I'm just like, I'll just like, my doctor said, just use my arm. Maybe I'll just like paint with my elbows. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I paint with my elbows because I don't have a glove that'll fit it. Well, and that's true. Um, I'll just like, I don't know what I'll do. I'll just like rub it. I just can't like grab things. 
and it, Emily's built. But anyway, so to me, like what you're describing, like that is miserable because I'm stuck and I can't read either. Like reading a book hurts <laughs> my arms, even if I'm using like a holder doing like this motion to like touch my Kindle screen or to go like this to like touch a scroll phone screen. And audiobooks are way too slow. Um, and when I speed them up, I can't follow it good enough. Like I'd rather just read it. Um, so I know. So to me, that's boring. That's so boring. I can watch TV for like 30 minutes. Oh, I love it. So that's so just... me. And like, I can't play Nintendo because that hurts. So like, there's nothing I can do. Does that make sense? Like, you oh, can't yeah. use your hands, and I'm, I'm always a two-on-one person. Yeah. Like, always. And, and to a... you guys can tell, I'm talking to you, and I'm doing stuff. <laughs> I love it. Um, and I love that you're built that way because I am too. Anyways. In so many ways. Um. So. Um. And I love that. Um. As soon as you started talking that way, my mind was searching like, okay, well, so how can this be Jesus? Um, and the, the truth is uh, um, another prophecy that Jesus gave me that was relevant to my life. So there were just, there's a, tons of prophecies out there in the Enzyme, uh, what they call the Leahona, the Book of Mormon Bible. Most of them just aren't very interesting to you, um, but there'll be a few that are. Um, well, just because you need different things at different times. But one of those things, um, Emily, that relates to what you're talking about um, is uh, Elder Maxwell said, if we are to be true disciples of Jesus Christ, he will eventually require of us that which is most difficult to do. Um, and so em Emily had this list of most difficult things to do, and it just said, do nothing. I mean, like, uh, I don't really want to do nothing, very much so. Um, in fact, that makes me want to go do something. That scares me. And so I'm, I'm kind of the same way. It's like when I had my nosebleed, there's not much you can do because you have to settle down. This thing you can't touch, you can't look at, has to cauterize itself and whatnot. And so I had to slow down. And I couldn't even do what I like to do most, which is talk, as you can see, as I hijack this episode. Of Jesus in this mess. Feel free to raise your hands and, and stop me. Um, and if we don't ever get to the the part um, that I was aiming for, that's fine. Because I liked what you added, Emily. Um, anyways, it, um, I, I share that with you. I'm always working, 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 working. Um, a lot of times it's mo movie making or I'm building some huge thing and it's how I'm built. So I, I believe Jesus was slowing me down. Um, and I do seriously believe I have to learn to use my indoor voice, uh, slow it down, and um, I'll, I'll work at the rest of my life because that's just counter to who I was born. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it taking a while. Um, I'll go on, but I want to see if you guys have any comments. I just want to say, I still want to hear about Jonathan's homelessness, and I'd like to figure out a way to tie that in. Okay. I have a question. Can you guys hear me? I can. Can you guys hear me at all? Yes. 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 You can. Is it cutting out for you guys, or is it just me? Nope, not cutting out. Uh, it's cut out for me two times with Greg talking, like just barely Greg was talking and it froze for about, um, I don't know, like a second, felt like a long time. Okay, I'm well, I'm gonna, um, yeah, okay, I'm going to probably leave my video off so that it streams a little better to where I'm at. 
um, because the data I'm connected to, I guess, is being kind of slow. So um, I'm going to go ahead and let Emily see if she has something. I I um, I was so focused on the sketchiness of the video that I I didn't catch the end of. Um, I caught some of what Greg said, but not all. So Emily, you go ahead, and then um, I know there were some things that Emily wanted to talk about today too. Um, once we get past um, past whatever we're at on right now, so I just wanted to mention that, but I'll pass it back. Oh, uh, I was just saying, all I was doing was just telling Greg, like, hey, I want to make sure we still get to Jonathan's stuff. That's all I said. And Greg kind of stopped and said he had more to say. So that's all he did. Okay. So I'll pass it back to Greg then. Yep. And I'll just take about five more minutes and I'll keep it short. So we have these mundane instant instances in our lives and, um, uh, now, I don't need to speak more about the prophecy. I received this as prophecy written by somebody else. Um, at moments of sorrow and exhaustion, it's only too easy to look back over the years and feel that our lives have, in essence, been meaningless. We take stock of just how much has gone wrong, how many errors there have been, how many unfulfilled plans and frustrated dreams we've had. We may feel like the distraught, damned Macbeth, who, on learning of his wife's death, exclaims at a, in a pitch of agony, the man is a cursed creature who struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. Life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. No life can avoid an intermittently high degree of sound and fury. The question is whether it must also ultimately signify nothing, as Macbeth's lines hint. But this will depend on who is doing the telling. So I'm going to jump to this next part. Only a small number of us ever self-consciously write our autobiographies. It is a task we associate with celebrities, the very old, but it is in the background, a universal activity. We may not be publishing our stories, but we are writing them in our minds, nevertheless. Every day finds us weaving a story about who we are, about getting a sliver in our hands, where we are going, and why events happen as they did. Many of us are striking the harsh narrators of these life stories, or we're boring narrators. We hint to ourselves that we've, we've been morons from the beginning. We've stuffed up real big time. It's one disaster after another. That's how we go about narrating, especially late at night when our reserves of optimism run dry and demons return. Yet there is nothing necessary about our self-flagellating methods of narration. There could always be ways of telling very different, far kinder and more balanced stories from the very same set of facts. Listen to this part. You could give your life story to Dostoevsky, Proust or Jesus, my favorite, and come out with a rather bearable, moving, tender, and noble story, good by which is made fair-minded and judicious. Narrators know that lives can be meaningful even when they involve a lot of failure and humiliation. Mistakes do not have to be absurd. They can be signs of how little information we have on which to base the most consequential decisions. Messing up isn't a sign of evil. It's evidence that we're, what we're up against. Not all the disasters were wasted anyway. Maybe we spent a decade not quite knowing what we wanted to do with ourselves professionally. Maybe we went through a succession of failed relationships that let us left us confused and hurt a lot of people. But these experiences weren't meaningless because they were necessary to later development, blah, 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 the rest. Um, so that is um, the frame of reference from which um, I was, um, I view my own stories as I'm telling stories. They've increasingly woven in Jesus. So back to this, uh, I'll highlight that, my favorite part, that we could give up um, 
very few of us are self self-conscious as we write those autobiographies we just roll them out of our mouths if you will but you could and here it comes you could give up your life story too and then they have options Dostoevsky, Proust or Jesus I don't know who Dostoevsky is or Proust but I'm sure they they're good but um, when I saw or Jesus I'm like oh yeah I've given my life story up to Jesus most of us give most of our life story up to what's called mundane reality it's like a reality that everyone would understand uh, and would feature not angels and demons and so forth. Most of our day is spent just like this uh, school of life um, emphasis is things just happen. Um, and, and that's fine if that's the story you want. But uh, Jesus in this mess, I believe, for me, it highlights and emphasizes that maybe even... Um, Things like getting stickers in your hands and having an experience with um, having to think about surgeons and, and money and time and limited. What, um, that that's, what if it was set up? What if it was purposed by Jesus or if not purposed, at least permitted by the king of kings, the, the he who has all knowledge? What if he permitted something like that to happen? My nose to bleed or Emily to get a stick in her hand that became um, an issue where she needs surgery, or Jonathan um, still with him. What if that um, is not just an incidental thing, but it is um, a huge thing? And ultimately, like the uh, Moody Blues song, we decide which is right and which is an illusion. And I've, I've decided I'm, I'm going big on Jesus. So that's how I actually view others as well. So um, I have to let people know, oh, I may be interpreting it wrong because, you know, they have their world, their story. I have mine. I believe that Jesus is all the time. He's on. He doesn't like, okay, let's take a break while she does this weird thing, get the sliver in her hand. No, that's not a break. That's mainline Jesus in my world. And so I, I allow under Article Faith 11, um, uh, we allow all men to tell whatever story they want. And so maybe they want to tell a little bit of Jesus story, like, yeah, 10 or 20% of the time it's Jesus. Greg wants like, I want to do this 100% Jesus. And telling that kind of story, like it's 100% Jesus, that has its own challenges. You know, the problem of evil, philosophy 101. You'll have, yeah, it's not an easy story to tell, believe me. And I'm not there. I'm not 100% um, tied into that but i but i 100% believe it i believe that all of our experiences all of them every single one is um on the edge of eternity it is uh, and and it's left for us to decide okay well even if it is i'm not going to tell that story i'm not going to get all hopped up on it i'm not going to try to draw life lessons from everything jesus wants to taught me he can give me the normal whoo big old freaking miracle or crash in the car but slivers uh, -uh. <laughs> and i'm down with that i totally get it and i'm fine and with that i still leave at least 20 minutes to hear about a homeless story you guys make any comments you want um ready to be a listener do you have anything emily nope you can go ahead i'm interested to see how we tie this all together huh. um I've also been this week kind of thinking about a lot about your homelessness stuff. I've been uh, not even planned this way, right? Because Jesus is in everything. I, I read 
I like to read books. I was reading some fantasy books, and uh, they mentioned the life of George Miller. Are you familiar with his story, both of you? I no. think so. Is he the one that had the orphanages? Yeah, yeah. It seems like, and, and Greg, do you know who he is? He seems like something both of you would be extremely into. Um, Greg, do you know who he is? I don't. George Moeller, huh? You should you should definitely look him up and read him. He was a, a read about him. Uh, he was a guy in the 19th century who decided to run like better orphanages. And he, um, part of his thing is he wasn't going to like organize or ask for money or anything ever. And he was just going to depend on God for everything. And so this, his story is just about him just relying on God for everything. A lot like what you, what you've done only he was with all these orphanages and he was able to create changed life of orphanages in like England and had thousands of children. And like, they just, everything just showed up when they needed it. Like when they needed food, when they needed money, it's really quite amazing. So I wasn't planning on, uh, I've studied him before. And so when this book mentioned it, I was like, so there, this book was just, it's a historical fiction, but it was just like, what would have happened to the orphans later in life who were raised on this concept that God will provide everything that you need when you need it? Because that was essentially what he taught them. And so um, anyway, so as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about you and Jonathan, and I was like it. So I'm interested to see how all of that plays into here too. That's just what I was, that's just what I've been thinking about this. Excellent. Okay, I, I, well, I, copied the, I copied the link, so I'll read about it. Thanks. So, yeah. so um, if at any point I start cutting out, please let me know because um, I think my internet's a little sketchy. So, um, I uh, this uh, that is a perfect place to start, and um, I'm actually kind of glad that you gave that beginning um, because, um, to be honest, this may be something we talk about in and out, off and on for a long time because. Um, well, it's for one thing, it's it's just part of um, you know, it'll come up because it's in my heart and mind. Um, but there's too much when I was when I was when you talked about the homelessness thing, I was like, wow, how do I even begin? Because there's too many stories, there's too much um around it, but that's actually a perfect place to begin. So um I'll tell you kind of uh where I met George Muller. So um, there was a period in my life where I had a lot of responsibility. Um, I, uh, I, uh, I had a business, I had a, um, uh, uh, I had medical bills, <laughs> I had, um, I had other responsibilities. And uh, time, I would guess that my, you know, just before I could even uh, before I could even eat um, or put food on the table or anything like that um, for the people I loved, I had probably, think about this, I guess, well, I can't remember now, but it it, it probably would be, and for me, this was a lot. It doesn't sound like a lot to a lot of people nowadays, but at the time, I think it was probably about five grand or more, um, just basic baseline, you know, just covering um, my uh, my basic um, bills. It's probably more than that. I can't remember. 
at the time though for me that was a lot i i i wasn't raised with a lot of uh we never had a lot of money and i wasn't i don't know that i was really that great with money i don't i still don't know if i am um in the way the world is anyways and i so at that time i came across george muller and i i got i'm not sure if it's an autobiography or a biography but i read the um the story um the book that was written about him um and yeah. i was fascinated and I, I i it was one of these periods where you know like i'll get i'll get hooked on something and i'll read like everything i can about it or, or watch a bunch of youtube videos and i'll kind of be on that thing for like weeks or a couple months or something and that was one of them and i was i was entranced because i had always thought this way i had always like in my mind, th that was the way of life that always made sense to me. In fact, I remember when I um, <laughs> when I first got married, um, you know, I almost I, I had some people um, advise um, my wife to be that I might not be the best candidate because I thought this way. Like I remember being asked, "So what are you going to do to provide or whatever?" And I said, "Well, God will provide. God always provides." And that answer was not liked at all. <laughs> and um, and so when I came across George Mueller, I was like, oh, wow, this guy gets it. And um, so I, I read it all. And so I did exactly what he um, what he um, recommended, which is that I I am um, I got a journal. And I began to um, write down every prayer. So he had a, he had a journal, and he would write down every time he needed something, because he actually said that the reason he started the orphanage, I mean, he wanted to care for the orphans because they were just everywhere, and and these urchins in the street. So it was that was important to him too. But he said that the main reason he did it is he wanted to show the world about faith and how faith works, and that it actually does work. He wanted his life to be, as Greg would put it, a living parable. And so he um, he decided he would do this, and this is the way he would show the world. And um, so he would he wrote down every prayer, and then he so and then he would write down when it was fulfilled. So like you know needed you know um bread for the orphans on this day and you know at at 11:03 a.m. somebody came by with bread and milk you know and then he would do the next one and the next one and at one point he says he had a record of over 10,000 prayers that had been answered so i got myself a um a notebook and i began to do this and it was at a time where my business was very volatile and i i couldn't figure it out i couldn't figure out how to make it stable such high um uh overhead and and stuff that it 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 made it so that i yeah it caused problems and so um i began to write down every single prayer and um and some were fulfilled here and there but it, i started doing this right at the time that my business started to kind of ebb it was like, and, and the things started to kind of go down here. 
and um, and I did this for probably the better part of a year, and I got so depressed that I stopped. I I got rid of the book, and I remember praying to God at the time, like God, there is obviously something I am not getting. What is different between George Muller and me? Why is it, you know, why is it, why did it work for him, but it's not working for me? And um, so you could say in a lot of ways, my my life has been a, a series of questions about money for about the last decade and a half. It's like, it's a massive part of what I've done. And most of those questions have been directed toward God. And so it's like, and what I didn't realize at the time was that God had to take me on a journey because there were things that were so kind of wrong-minded in the way that I thought about economy and finances and et cetera. Things that weren't just me. I mean, some things, like I was raised with a poverty mindset. So like, so like that's taken years to begin to look at things a little bit differently. But um, but not just that, but like there are things which were, I didn't even realize, which are, um, you could say are, how do I put this? Um, they're societal or they are, they, they're a part of my culture. And see, those are a lot harder because it's like, you know, you would never guess that many of the things that everyone else are doing are antithetical to this thing that that allows for every good thing you need to flow from the throne of God, including temporal means. It's like, who would guess that like an entire society, an entire economy, an entire culture would set up frameworks which are completely antithetical to that working and i didn't i didn't understand that and and so you know i think that was a beginning is that it's like because i had these deep questions i think is part of the reason why god needed to lead me on a path that led through homelessness through having to beg through um through having to look at at um, the world and at my, the, the way I handled the blessings that flowed to me from God, I had to look at them from a completely other mindset. Um, and, and, you know, and I, and I can say the one thing that comes to mind, there's probably dozens and dozens, but one main thing is that I, that I can see now is that I wasn't low enough. I was not nearly low enough. I did not have an understanding very well of all of what I really needed at the time. We, um, oh, so, um, well, we just have grown up in a culture that um, I think we're a long ways from where George Muller's culture was. And that in his culture was deeply flawed, but it's almost as if we don't even understand the frameworks under which he and God kind of worked that out. Um, so that's a beginning. I, I before I go on from any more from that, I'll just turn it back to you guys. See if you have any thoughts or questions. But um, 
I love that you started with George Mueller. I hadn't even thought that that was that was a major key early thing that happened in my journey. Um, that that eventually would, you know, part of the school of all that would lead through homelessness and other things. But um, any thoughts, you guys, or questions? I have a question. So my question is, so you were trying to do what George Mueller did and you got really depressed. Is that what I'm understanding? Yes. Oh, dang. Because I was like, hey, that is you're talking about it at first. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to try that. I should do that with my kids. But now I'm like kind of scared. So no, I'm just I'm just like waiting. Like, where's the story going? That's really where I am. Just keep going. Greg, do you have any questions or thoughts? Um, just the only thought is that um, I believe we're all on the path of George Mueller. Um, I believe that we need assistance to do that. I believe that um, uh, most of us have to be broken, uh, which means, unfortunately, mentally, uh, physically, um, that that ultimately we have to descend below all things. So, his um, I'm very interested in reading about him. But that's the, the wider frame by which I'm viewing what you're doing and then its relationship to other people. That one way or another, we have to have an approximation. Because that's true. All of us have to have an approximation of Jesus. We don't all have to go through the same experiences. But we have to go through an approximation of those experiences, um, maybe mentally in our head, feel like outcast. Yep, everybody's got to do that. We all have to go into the wilderness. All of it during this life? I don't know. Probably not. Probably some of us. But... Um, but I've, I've, I've lived, as you've known, um, and as I know about you, we've lived um, a closer approximation to, uh, in terms of poverty and, and brokenness, uh, ha having uh, something inside of us broken. And, and that's what I need. If, if God really wanted me to do the, um, that Muller's thing, um, he would have to assist me by breaking me. And he has. <laughs> okay, that's my comment. Cool. Um, are you still talking or oh, yeah, it looks like you stopped? Good. Yeah, um, I was going to add, add one more thing to that. It just kind of reminds me to what I'm doing right now. So what I did is I made a big mess of this painting and I covered it in dark. And then I was like, I need more power to clean this off. So I just took it out here to a hose and I just sprayed it off. And then as I spot this off, I'm going to try to make a mess and find Jesus in it. I don't know, it just it brought me, I don't know, I just reminded that same thing, that there just has to be, it's like I have to do something and I have to make a really big mess out of it, and then I have to try to fix it, you know, but it's not me, it's me trying to find Jesus, and it's really weird on this because I kept spraying it, and the dark's only coming off in certain sections, these other sections, it's just not coming off, like I'm spraying it, it's the same stuff, the same water, and it's not coming off, and so it's going to be interesting to see where it goes, it's like with your story. Well, that's that's good, I love that, and I, I think one takeaway from that too is that it's like, um, so you have a choice, like you took it out and you're like, well, okay, I'm going to spray this off, but you have a choice now to believe, um, you can either believe, oh, darn, it didn't do what I thought it would do. Or you get a choice to believe, and this is what I know you do, Emily, um, is, is it's like, well, if it didn't come off, it wasn't meant to come off. And, um, that's one of the things I've learned in my own path with, um, with Christ is that. It's like, it's like there are certain flaws within me that he has never removed. 
And he's kind of indicated to me that he doesn't intend to. He wants, you know, like Greg started out talking about the thorn in the flesh. And, oh, and you, we, that was because you have a thorn in the flesh. <laughs> and so did Paul, you know, and it's like, and what does God say? So sometimes we pray, and like I did with my my list of things that I believed that I needed, and I'm saying, you know, and given, I, I wasn't even asking for, for extravagant things. I was asking for the, what I saw as the bare necessities. And, um, and we think that God is going to, um, that he's going to think that we need the same things that we think that we need. And that's not the case. So it's like, he leaves a thorn in the flesh. He leaves a, you know, a problem here, a problem there, because for him, it's not a problem. It's a, it's um, it's part of, you know, maybe without that flaw, without that. You know, I think about Paul. It's like, take somebody who just can't keep his mouth shut and is always getting in other people's face about his own beliefs. You know, it's like, have you ever met somebody like that? That it's like they just can't help but just shove their opinions in your face. I kind of get that impression about Paul. <laughs> you know, there's a reason why he was stoned so many times. You know, and from this place and that, you know, and maybe that was the thorn in his flesh as he thought to himself, you know, God, I, I just can't stop doing this. It's like, why am I, why do I have to get in everybody's face and just push them, you know, push them to the brink? And he's like, no, that's okay, Paul. That's why I sent you. That's why I sent Paul. And that, or that's why I, I leave that thorn in your flesh. Of course, we don't know if that was the thorn he was talking about. Um, So, to go back to um, um, to George Mueller and to to you know you asked about the the homelessness thing. It's like um, it's like um, yeah. I, actually, I'm not quite sure how to tie it in now because there's it's it's um, oh it's just its own. But I guess I guess where that begins is that that was a, a beginning, and and that was the point at which things began to unravel, and it's the point at which I began to unravel, um, because I was not able to, I wasn't smart enough, I wasn't strong enough, or wise enough, or whatever to hold all of that together, all the things I was trying to hold together at that time in my life. And um, that doesn't mean I ever gave up on those things. And to this day, I'm still living to fulfill those things that that slipped past me. Um, but but um, we get a choice, like Greg was saying earlier, we get a choice to believe, to have Christ tell us about our story. And in my story, it was purposeful that I broke. It was purposeful that I was unable to hold it together. I remember a time um, within probably a year or two after the time that I described, I remember a time where I was um, sitting in my office um, and uh, I, would, I would work for about 10 minutes and then I would have a panic attack and I'd have to lay down prostrate on the floor for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes and try to completely relax. 
And then I could get up and I could work for another 10 minutes. And, um, and then fast forward, um, another, um, another year, maybe two years after that, um, almost two years after that, you know, and during this period, as I'm going downhill, I had many, many people who were generous and tried to give me some money here and there, tried to help me with work here and there, tried to offer me jobs. Um, and I took some jobs here and there. I did temporary work, which had been kind of prophesied in a blessing that I had received, that I would have temp jobs that would eventually lead to something that would support my family. And, um, but I, you know, everybody around me could tell I was unraveling and I was dropping, not purposefully, but just like one thing after another, I couldn't, I couldn't handle. And, um, and, and it's, it's, we've talked about this before. It's so much easier when you have a broken leg because you can point to the cast when it's in your brain or in your soul. It's like, it's, it's harder. And the strange thing that was happening too, at the same time is it's like, as my ability to do things temporarily was deteriorating it was like you could say my spiritual life was kind of exploding. It was like I was seeing more and more things that had to do with the kingdom of God, and I, I, um, and it was on. You could say that was part of what was undoing me. I was already because of my own faults and everything kind of unraveling, but then it was like it, it would be like if um, if somebody came to you and. Um, and said, and kind of pointed out to you that like everything you were doing, say your your job as a teacher or something, um, how it wasn't what you thought, and that it maybe maybe you're not even helping these kids. Maybe you're, you know, it's like it's doing no good at all. It's like I don't think that's the case at all. I think you're doing much good. But um, but if someone did that to you and they could actually show you that that was the case, it would make it much more difficult for you to continue to get up and go to work. And that was kind of happening with me. It's like, it was like, God was like showing me the world and the way that we think, like almost from a, a higher perspective in a way. And it was like, and I've heard people who um, like the Easterners, you know, like when they have like a, um, they, they call it Nirvana or they have a um, an enlightenment moment, like some of them will become completely useless. Like, and, you know, and they'll just like sit in the woods, like, and they look like they're like meditating and they're like half there, but it's like, like, and some of them like they, they kind of, they'll come back together later on and they can start to function again. I don't know if you're really, sorry, I'm, I am coming around to the homeless thing, um, but it's taken me a second. So I don't know if you guys have heard of Eckhart Tolle. Emily, have you heard of him? Nope. Okay, so he's somebody to look up. He so he's he's um, one of the spiritual thought leaders. Like like the um, he's really great. If you if you ever listen to him, he talks about being present and and um, he you could say he's a spiritual teacher. And he's he's all over the internet. You can find him on YouTube. But he talked about he had this experience when he was twenty nine, and basically what happened is that like he kind of detached from his ego. He was completely miserable, suicidal, was basically about to end it all. And something happened one night and he saw something like spiritually, like, and he saw it like 
it was like he became detached from who he was. And he said he woke up the next morning, like everything was just like beautiful, like, like, like all of that horrible, you know, like, uh, you know, the horribleness that he had been dealing with was gone. And, um, and he, uh, um, and he was like, he was basically a totally different person after that. Cause it was like, he, he realized that he wasn't who he thought he was. And, and like, he, he, he was actually getting a PhD and he taught at the, at, I think it was Cambridge at the time. He was one of the, you know, student teachers and, and he kept doing that for a little while, but like after about six months, I think he said, he just like, he was like, like a knowing came, I'm going to walk away from the PhD. And he walked in and he told him I'm, I'm leaving. And, and then he spent two years bench. And um, he said he hardly ate, you know, he, there was a boot temple and he would go over there cause they would feed him. And, and he, if he was lucky, he got one meal a day, but it was like, he had seen something almost like, like, and I've heard of near death experience people who like, they'll have a near death experience. And then it becomes really difficult for them to reassimilate into life afterwards. Um, and because it's like, once you've seen some, some something from that perspective, it, you know, and you've seen kind of this otherworldly thing, it's like, this world is kind of depressing. <laughs> they come back and sometimes they're really depressed for a while and they, 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 they have a hard time. And sometimes like they, they lose jobs, family will kind of leave them because they're totally different when they come back. And it's like, so I went through something like that. So as my as my ability to provide is deteriorating, going down the drain in a funnel, like I'm having, I'm seeing like things in an explosive way, like one thing after another, after another. And then, um, so the first time I was homeless, there came a point where I realized I'd kind of worn out my welcome everywhere. The people I loved were finding ways to to take care of their needs on their own because I, I could do less and less jobs. And but I was still kind of trying. I, I made this last ditch effort. And um I went with to be with some family, and um I had been told to write. Um God had told me on a mountain down in southern Utah to go write. And so he had given me an idea for a story. And I was so fragile, like I couldn't even, um, in my mind, I, I, I was hard for me to hold it together, even in, in a temporary job. And this was like my last ditch effort. I said, I'm going to try to write this thing. And I went down and I, um, I spent three months and I remember I had the idea. It's funny. It's always two or three months I'm given to write something. And if I don't get it done, it's over. <laughs> I'll have to come back to it years later, but the point being is like, I remember I had three months and I tried and miserably failed to get the story out. And, um, and while I'm writing it a few times, I drove up to the, um, to Salt Lake, or I would take the tracks up. I think I had a bus pass. Maybe I can't remember. And I, to Salt Lake and I would, um, and while I was up there, I saw the homeless people and God kept saying to me, you're going to be with these people soon. You're going to be with these people soon. And um, it was freaking me out like nothing else. I was like, what? Of course, he'd already freaked me out a number of times, but I was like, 
what in the world? And I, and, you know, and I, of course I have people who are telling me at the time, you're going crazy. And I'm like, yes, I think you're right. Uh, but it's only partly crazy. There's something else going on. And so I'm thinking to myself, like, am I going crazy? I must be going crazy. And, um, and I remember like, like, so you're going to be around these people. And, and, um, and I, I, I thought to myself, okay, well, I can't do that. And so I just hunkered down. I was staying with some family, but I was so like, like I was so whacked, like from day to day, like I would say one thing and then I would say the opposite the next, because it was like, I was living in two worlds. It was like, seeing things from the rational perspective, the way that everybody thinks in this world. And I'd be like, okay, no, I, I gotta be like this. And the next day I'd be like, you know what, you guys, this is all wrong. We gotta be, you know, and I would go on back and forth and, and somebody that I was close to that I was staying with, they were like, you're making me crazy. <laughs> you know, it's like, you're going to drive me insane. I need you to leave. They said. And, and I remember I thought to myself, I thought, well, I still have kind of a few friends, kind of. But already so many people have done so much, and they've been so good and so loving. They've helped with money here and there. They've, you know, they've they've helped to take care of my family. It's like, I, I, I you know, I could go to one more person and sleep on a couch, but I'm not feeling it anymore. And what I felt, too, is it's like, you know what? I want to be what I am. I want to be at the level I am. And it's like, and I realized it's like, I can't support, you know, a family in the state I'm in. I can't even support myself. Like, like I, I can't even like, you know, keep the temp jobs together enough to, and, and I thought to myself, well, and I thought, about what you know god had been saying for about a month and a half about the homeless people and i and i remember like i packed a bag like a backpack just you know like a school backpack and um and i was staying in uh in the south salt lake county area at the time and i walked out onto redwood road and i started walking towards salt lake city i didn't even have the bus fare to get from south salt lake county up to salt lake because i knew that there was a homeless shelter up there and so I, I, um, and as I was walking, somebody I knew, oh, and I, I decided for the first time in my life to hitchhike. So I put out a thumb, I put out my thumb as I'm walking along and, um, and somebody I knew, a woman I knew and her kids saw me, recognized me. I don't think she normally picks up hitchhikers. And she said, are you okay? are you okay? I didn't tell her I was going to the homeless shelter. I said, I just, I need to get to Salt Lake. But you know, as far as you can go is fine. And she drove me up there. And, um, and then I spent two weeks in the homeless shelter and we can talk about more about that, you know, in the future, I think we're probably close to time, but that's a little bit of the story of, um, of how I, how I came to homelessness the first time. Um, any thoughts or questions? I'm just very much into this story. I'm still trying to figure out, you go from trying to be faithful, like to George Mueller, 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 I don't know how to say it. Anyways, 
to, I mean, essentially losing everything and just becoming so depressed and so, well, I'm just trying to restate what I'm understanding from your story, but becoming so, um, yeah, just really stuck in a deep, deep depression, you know, and, uh, you know, unable to work, unable to hold a job. I don't know. It just seems like you had nowhere else to go, right? Um, it almost yeah, sounds say... to me, yeah, it almost sounds <laughs> to me too, like you were like, I don't deserve to go anywhere. And that was, that also sounds like it, but maybe not. Maybe I'm just hearing that in. Like it was a big self hate time, it sounds like too. Maybe not though. Um, it was, it was, it was like two things. Um, you know, I, as you mentioned, the a deep, deep depression. Um, you know, it wasn't, I, I, I should probably correct that a little bit. It was, there was definitely times where I was depressed. Um, and when I, when I went to the homeless shelter, I was very depressed. <laughs> like it felt like my life was over and it basically was. Um, it, it was one of the times that it kind of got a reboot, you could say. Um, but at the time I, um, uh, but at the time I wouldn't say that it was a prolonged depression. Um, but it, I would say that it was its own kind of what you might say, mental illness. Um, it was, um, it was, um, well, and I, I so you said two things. I'm trying to tie the two. Oh, and the, the George Mueller thing and how I went from George Mueller to that. So, um, oh, can you restate, can you synopsize your question? I can try to. Um, so I was just saying, okay. it's crazy He's, to me how you went from like George Mueller is this example of faith. And you're like, I'm going to try to be faithful with George Mueller. And that sounds like something I would try to do. I'm going to try to write down things that I asked and they're answered. I'm going to write it down. So it sounds like the things you were asking for weren't answered, so you got really depressed. And I don't know if it was like, God doesn't love me, or I'm not doing something right. I, I don't know. That's where I'm trying to like, I'm trying to make the connection, because I'm like, well, I wanted to do what George Mueller did. And would that be bad? You know? Like, that's kind of what, that's where I am in my head. And so, okay. uh, and, and, and so I'll also frame that, because um, that would be new to my understanding, uh, um, Emily is the way Jonathan has talk, talked to me, it was um, uh, a breakdown. Um, Cause that's, when I got born again, I had mental illness, um, uh, which is in, uh, um, it started with uh, mania, depression and anxiety. And so just to look back on that, um, it wasn't, I was commencing with some big spiritual endeavor. I didn't know I was, <laughs> um, and so I could, I would be hesitate to frame it um, like a, a premeditated. I'm going to go big on Jesus. No, but I later could realize, oh, uh, I must have been asking for this, um, or I, you know, destined for it because it's the best thing that ever happened to me, and it was calamity for me, my family. So I had, oh, at least a year of mental illness. Um, unstable for maybe two months but functional be like a functional alcoholic okay now he's functional crazy guy but um so jonathan correct us if we're wrong because it sounds because emily be right like sounds like man i i was doing this project i thought let's see what happens when i do what george Mueller does i'm going to test it out um 
and the way I understood it is more like I wrecked on my bike. Um, uh, but yes, you have a good heart, Jonathan, and I think throughout your life, because that's why I also know, the, I know other parts of your, your story going all the way back to childhood, the desire to line up with God's uh, alignment. Uh, Jonathan has always um, wanted to do what's right and good. And I like that about him. But anyways, um, it's his story. I'm not, I'm not going to tell it. So maybe he'll say, no, Emily's right. It was a total project and it went bonkers, but in a good way. Okay, go ahead, Jonathan. Tell it in any correction. You're up, Jonathan. We're back. We're back. At least one of us is. <laughs> we're still recording. Uh, okay, we're back. Well, it makes me wonder if he's gonna. Let's wait and see if he um, sends us. I don't know if he has to do no, a new link. We're or... in. I, I'm in. What? But I just want to hear more about your story. But I'm like, no, we gotta wait. Here, I'm here. I can hear you guys. Oh, hey, there's. there's... I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. You're here. Yep, okay. I'm here. I think we're back. Your recording yep. stopped. Okay. Uh, no, I don't think it's recording though. It is recording. It is recording. It is recording. Just keep painting then. Yeah, okay. Painting for we're we're on. Well, I'll talk about I it. Need this. We're on. We're right. on. We're on. All right. Go ahead. Okay. Can we hear you, Craig? Yep. We're good. All right. Okay. Well, I'll pick up where I was at. We're recording, right? Yep. We're recording. Yep. Okay. All right. So, yeah, I actually, I think I understand now the question. So, um, basically, so it, they're almost like two things which are slightly detached but connected. So, um, so I had a reason why money was important to me at the time. And it wasn't Maseratis or um, bigger houses. Um, and um, it seemed... Um, very much, I thought, you know, Greg or George Muller had a, um, a purpose and so do I. And, um, and so, um, and I had this sense that it was like, um, I needed help. I'll just put it that way. Like, like, um. I was trying to carry a large burden. And if you can imagine like um, like a truck that's pulling a big load and it, it gets on a little bit of rough gravel or mud or something and the wheel, wheels begin to spin and it's trying to find every way it can to get some traction. That's part of what George Muller was for me, was that it was like, because most people would say, okay, if you have financial pro problems, 
go to the financiers, right? Go to the people who've made a lot of money and ask them questions, read the self-help books. Well, for me, I was never drawn to those things. Um, I Actually, I was. I've probably been drawn as much as the next guy, like, oh, I can make some money, you know, but, but it was like there was two things going on and there, I was more drawn to this idea that God would provide. I had always been fascinated by, you know, like Christ said, you know, consider the lilies and all that. And it was like, I really believed that. And like, I, I remember like telling people that I believe that and they're like, well, you can't take it literally. And, um, and, and I remember being like, well, then what's the point, you know? And, and so for me, you could say that reading George Muller, the reason he fascinated me so much was because he was a solution to a financial problem. He was what I can, what I considered an embodiment of Christ's solution to money problems. And so you can see that already my footing that I, as I went into the George Muller thing, like it was partially a spiritual endeavor but it was a very practical endeavor for me. So it's like, I think in some ways I had already begun kind of to unravel a little bit, even then, um, because some of the things I was doing, like to make money, like I could tell that it wasn't working for me the way that it worked for other people. Um, and I, I was, I, I wanted, um, and so, so it wasn't so much like, oh, I tried this thing with George Muller and it didn't work. And I got super depressed and ended up, you know, in the homeless shelter. It was like, um, all that while imagine that truck with its tires spinning, trying to move forward. It was like, it, you know, I know that some people like will get depressed and they can't get out of bed to go to work. It's like, that wasn't so much my problem. My problem was that I couldn't leave work alone. I couldn't take a vacation. I couldn't go anywhere without thinking about how I was going to solve these financial problems. And like that truck that gets in the mud and the wheels begin to spin, um, you know, and maybe you come back an hour later, you know, and you're like, you, you tell them, stop, stop pushing on the gas. You're just digging yourself deeper. Well, that was me. It's like, stop pressing on the gas, Jonathan. You're just digging yourself deeper. And it's like, and in the end, it's like, what happened is that all the people around me just had to like throw up, told them to, to, you know, only they didn't see it the way the guy would see the someone who's, you know, stuck in the mud. It was, it was, um, but, um, but it was a, um, it was just, oh, how do I put this? I, I think the thing that's hard to describe is that it's like I, the thing I think the one thing I heard you say that was um, that I wouldn't say was quite right is that I wasn't depression was not my main problem. 
Just a second. I just got to check on something. I'm on my podcast. One of the. I'll be out in a bit. One of the one of the things I recognize. Um, I'm back. Go ahead, Greg. Yeah, one of the things I recognize from my own experience is that fear um, had gripped Jonathan. Now, that's what I recognize about um, my own born again experience. Like I said, I uh, it started as mania. And I remember um, I had um, this fixation on my career and um, and worries about it. Um, and so it was like providing for the family. So both of both of us had a provider role that that was kind of like the practical problem that we're trying to address. And that is one of the biggest pressures if you're uh, following a traditional pattern where the male is the one who's going to be the provider. Um, then that's a that's one of the huge huge burdens you carry, gratefully, um, but um, you can either just do it or worry about doing it. Sometimes there's factors that make you worry. Worry um, is is a um, symptom of fear, and so being gripped by fear is a great thing <laughs> if you turn to God, because otherwise all is well in Zion. Those aren't fearful people. Those are people, all is well in Zion, yea, Zion prospereth. You're not fearful, all right? I think so. Uh, I just might have to be about ending today. Yep, we can pick it up. This actually might be a good place to pick up because it'll give me a chance to, to, um, to think on what you asked because it's... Um, he, something he said, I caught a little bit at the very beginning, and it made me realize it's like, oh, oh okay, I actually, but now I've now I've lost it. Go on with what you're saying. It's great. Back. Yeah, I'm he's back. back, but I don't see him. I guess if you want to just close it up, we'll pick it up. Oh, okay. I wonder if we ought to close for this time, Greg, and we'll just pick it up from there next time. We didn't catch almost anything you said that's right um, yeah let's pick it up next time i'll just share my comment with you jonathan offline so we'll end this thanks for joining us sorry a little technical difficulties but jesus is in the mess so i expect it's just fine